This episode of Desert Island Dishes is sponsored by Japan Center. I've genuinely been a fan of Japan Center for years, ever since I discovered them on Regent Street, and there began my lifelong love of Osembe. <laughs> so this is a very exciting partnership for me. In case you guessed from my name, my husband is also half Japanese, so Japanese food is a really big part of our life, and we shop at Japan Center all the time. To give you a bit of background, in case you aren't familiar, Japan Center is the UK's favorite Japanese food hall. They've been around since 1976. In a nutshell, they're a supermarket bursting with authentic Japanese food and drink. They have an amazing deli, which serves really brilliant Japanese sushi and hot food. They have a fishmonger, butcher, a bakery, which makes handmade and hard to find Japanese baked breads and desserts. So really, they have everything you could ever hope to find. If you're in London, the good news is that they now have three locations. So if you haven't been, you really must go. <laughs> There's one in Westfield, London, Leicester Square and Westfield, Stratford City. If you're not in London, do not worry because their online store is absolutely brilliant. They have over 3,200 different products on there to choose from, from basically anything you can imagine. So think of it as your one-stop shop to get amazing gyoza, matcha, dashi, mochi. I mean, the list goes on. Their noodle selection is, in my opinion, second to none. <laughs> But truly, if any of this sounds up your street, which if you're listening to this, I think it will be, go and have a look at their website, japancenter.com and have a browse because if it isn't already somewhere that you shop regularly, it really should be. They're offering Desert Island Dishes listeners a 10% discount. Just use the code JAPAN10OFF. That's the number 10, but I'll pop it in the show notes. Thank you so much to Japan Center, or perhaps I should say, Aligato gozaimasu. <laughs> Hi, I'm Margie Nomura, and welcome to the Desert Island Dishes podcast. This is the podcast where every week I ask my guests to choose their seven Desert Island Dishes. These range from finding out about the dish that most reminds them of their childhood, the best dish they've ever eaten, and of course, the last dish they would choose to eat before being cast off to the desert island. Hello, we're back with another season for you. We actually recorded these before Christmas when I was super organized and super pregnant. <laughs> Honestly, waddling around town. <laughs> I think we recorded this maybe a week before I gave birth to my second daughter. And I think Pierre was a bit worried it might happen at any moment. Since then, I've been adjusting to life with two babies under two, which has actually been pretty amazing, but I have to admit, hasn't left that much brain space or any time for any sort of work. I thought I might be able to get these out a bit earlier in the year, but I think maybe that was a bit ambitious. So I'm sorry if you've been waiting for a new episode since then. I'm always so happy to get your messages. Thank you to everyone that has sent me one over the last few months. I've got the best listeners. I'm really excited about today's episode. This was actually Pierre's first ever podcast interview. So that made it a really lovely thing. And I really hope you enjoy listening. One thing we didn't talk about, but that I wanted you to know about is Pierre's cooking course on BBC Maestro, 
where he can teach you the fundamentals of French cooking. If you're going to learn from anyone, I mean, who better than Pierre Kaufman? So that's definitely worth checking out. I'm also really pleased to tell you that our partnership with Cooks Matches is continuing for another season, which is so exciting. Cooks Matches have been the mainstay of British kitchens for over 40 years and remain the match for both cooks and chefs to use in the kitchen. With summer just around the corner, we aren't far away from barbecue season and all those gorgeous summer parties, which means you should have your Cooks Matches to hand to take you from lighting the barbecue at lunchtime right through to the evening when you can get some candles lit in the garden. No kitchen should be complete without a trusty box of these matches, just the easiest and most eco-friendly way to light everything from stoves and barbecues to candles. If you're stuck for what to cook this summer, Cooks Matches loves compiling recipes to show easy, delicious and family-friendly dishes. Head over to their Instagram page at Cooks Matches and join the Cooks community and find out more online by visiting cooksmatches.co.uk. Thank you very much to Cooks Matches. Now, I hope you're sitting comfortably wherever you are, and I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. My guest today is Pierre Kaufman, often described as one of the greatest chefs of all time, a living legend. He has been a chef for over 50 years, and his list of achievements are basically too long to mention. Born in the southwest of France in 1948, he didn't grow up dreaming of becoming a chef, and yet he has become the chef of chefs, the chef that all other chefs look up to. Combining a rustic gutsiness with haute cuisine, Pierre Kaufman knows how to combine tastes and flavors like no one else. He cooks the kind of food he likes to eat, the food of the French countryside and of his grandparents' farmhouse kitchen in rural Gascony. He is one of only a handful of chefs to have achieved three Michelin stars. While Pierre is renowned for his cooking expertise, after mastering his skills in the kitchen for 50 years, he is also known for his mentoring and championing of new talent in the industry. Pierre has famously said, there is no secret. It's all about working hard, using few but the right ingredients, but enjoying food. You have to be in love with cooking. It's not just a job, it's a passion. You must enjoy eating, and oh, you also need a bit of luck. Welcome, Pierre. Hello, good morning. Good morning. So, such a pleasure to have you on Desert Island Dishes. Thank you. I wanted to ask you, first of all, about that quote, which comes at the beginning of your book, Classic Kaufman, 50 Years a Chef which I think came out a few years ago now. But I love the way you mentioned luck, which I think shows that you're very humble. What part do you think luck has played in your career? Can you sort of pinpoint your luckiest moment? I I think luck happened, maybe you got to push it a little bit, but everybody needs a bit of luck in life. You know, as a chef, I need it, and everybody does, because you got to be there at the right time, you know? So luck... I was lucky in a, in a way because I managed to do the job I, I really enjoy, you know. So going to work in the morning for me was not a, a big deal, you know, because I was, I think, I was more happy to be maybe, is not more happy to be at work than to be at home, you know. <laughs> at work in the kitchen was, it was my family, it was my, my, my department kitchen. So that was a, the, the, the luck. And I was lucky to go in that, in that profession. When I was young, I was, 
I used to, when I was at school, of course, I was a type of bad student, you know, so, so every, every report, you know, after three months, you got the, they make a report about your, your, your progress, you know, and there was no progress at all in my case. So until one day they said, maybe Pierre will be better if he go and look for a job than to spend more time in a, in a classroom. So, so there I was, I had to find a job and I was 14 years old at the time. It was not so long. So uh, I was living in a small town, 40,000 people, it's called Tarb in, a, in the Pyrenees. So there, it was quite a hard decision to what to do. So in Tarb, we got the, the, the railways, the French railways, uh, we had an arsenal, we had a few, few, few factories like that, and we had a cookery school. And uh, at 14, I was not ready to go and work like a man. I was not feeling like a man. I just wanted to be a kid who wanted to play. And so I said, cookery school will be fantastic because it's a school, you know, it's a, you, you got, you got your, uh, uh weekend off and, uh, all those things. You, you got the advantage you got to be in, in a school. So I went to, to pass the exam. exam. I, I tried a few exams and I passed some and I failed some other, but I passed the, the cookery school. So I decided to go to cookery school. That is, one version of what I think did happen. Only as a, now I say maybe, maybe because in my family we always had good food. My mom was a very good cook. And, um, and so I was, I was, I enjoy food, always a bit greedy and uh, all those things. So, so maybe, maybe there is a mix of the two, you know. So I was lucky to, 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 to go for the job I enjoyed to do all, all my life, you know. And how does it feel? I don't want to embarrass you, but how does it feel when you're described as a living legend or one of the greatest chefs of all time? Yeah, a legend. I know a legend. I don't know what really means a legend. Most of the legends are dead. In fact, you know, <laughs> you're not a living legend. You know, you're just a, I'm just I'm just a, 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 a cook, a chef. You can call a chef a chef who who like to do what he enjoys to cook to cooking. You know. And, and that's it, the legend. After that, it's just people who write things you know, on, on newspapers. So I don't believe that that much. No. By all accounts, as you've said, your mother was an excellent cook, but it was the school holidays that you spent with your grandparents, who were farmers who lived off the land, that seemed to have the greatest impression on you. So let's talk about the first desert island dish. And that's the dish that most reminds you of your childhood. So it was, you just mentioned, you know, I was spending all my holidays uh, with with my grandmother, they were farmer in in Gascony, and I I was the favorite grandson. You know, all all the other kids, all sister and brother, they were slightly jealous, but <laughs> I was the grandson and uh, the favorite grandson. And uh, going going to he, he was a farm at the time. The farm was completely different than we got now. Now, now most of the farms are just factory. They produce a potato or wheat or blah blah. There at the time, the farms were doing a bit of everything because just to survive the, the, the whole year. So you had a, a bit of potato, a bit of wheat, a bit of corn, a bit of chicken, duck, two pigs, uh, six cows and things like that. So it was a bit of everything. So it was, I find it, I will say more romantic, you know, for me. Nice, nice. It's completely wrong. And, uh, so I used to spend uh, all my holiday with my granddad and, and grandmother and, uh, I was working, of course, I was working, but at the same time, you know, I was in love with my grandmother, so I was looking what she was doing, and she was a fantastic cook, and uh, so she was doing the beautiful dishes. 
Two beautiful dishes I remember from my grandmother is, is a jagger and a, a, a crustado pom. Yeah, I can say she was the queen of jagger because the farmers, they were, at the time, all the farmers, different farms, they were helping each other. But my grandmother, my, my grandfather, when he was going to work in the field, he always go with his gun on his back, you know, and if he saw, I don't know, a hair or pheasant, he would shoot it in his head. So, Time to time we got us hair, and she was an expert on cooking the jug hair. Even the next door farmer, they will, if they got hair, they will bring to my grandmother to cook it. She had the, she, I got to say, sadly enough, she gave me the recipe. I saw her many times to, to do it. I never managed to do as good as her. And I'm a bit disappointed of that. <laughs> so I, I blame a lot of things. I blame the wine mainly because they were doing their own wine and the, the wine. So that was my favorite dish. I love it. And did she cook it on an open fire? Because yeah. I know she used to yeah, do that. She, she had a big uh, open fire, but she had a, lit, a little cooker on the side too. Because uh, open fire was perfect to cook. In, in winter time, it was always on. But on the summertime, when you got 35 degrees outside, you got a little cooker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And her influence seems to have dominated your cooking career in many ways with the way that she's used every part of the animal. Nothing went to waste and seasonality was really key. Yeah. That was the beauty of at that time. You know, it was first, it was no supermarket. And in fact, in a village with a village of a thousand people, nothing. We had two butchers, two bakers, but she used to go to the bake, to the, the baker every day. But the butcher was very rare when we go to the butcher. We were because meat is expensive, you know, and so it was mainly on, on, a, on a Saturday morning. We got, we got tribes. I love tripes, you know, but maybe young English people are not for that. But and every Saturday morning we had veal tripes cooked slowly on the on 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 the side of the fire with garlic and parsley. The only time we had a good piece of meat is on a Tuesday it was a, a local market on the next next little town called Florence in Jersey, and there we will go and sell and sell uh, chicken, rabbit, uh, goose, all those things, you know, time to time, not every, not every week. Of and if she sell a lot of, she, if the sale was good, you know, she was uh, making a bit of money on the sale, we are, she will go to the butcher and buy a, 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 a piece of beef, you know. That was the only time we had, we had beef. All the rest were about uh, freshwater fish with fish and uh, a lot of rabbit, a lot of chicken, a lot of guinefowl, a lot of pork, all those things. You know, so. I wonder whether things like tripe are going to become more fashionable as we're moving into this next stage of the world. Uh, Do you think we, we can go back so to a time? When you start to talk about tripe, tripe with young people, oh, I don't want, I don't like that. We got tradition in France of eating tripe. Italy got it too, and Spain, but it's because. Uh, you go to test it when you are young and you enjoy it. The other day I took some people to, we went to a Chinese restaurant in, in Bayswater and uh, New Fortune Cookie. And they got, they got tripes and they got intestine. So they were, the friends were are English and I ordered some intestine and, and they forced himself to test it and, they, and he stopped them from eating. They had test and he stopped it, you know. But do you think if you hadn't said what it was, maybe they would have, do you think it's just like a mental block? Of course, like yeah. they were saying, a mental is a, Yeah. If you're, most of the time, Pretend if you don't know chicken. what you're eating. <laughs> it's delicious. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> 
And so you went to cooking school at 14 after you say that you were unsuccessful academically at school. How did you get on at cooking school? Because I heard that your final report wasn't amazing. No, the final report was a bit poor, but it uh, <laughs> doesn't matter. So my final report was, uh, Pierre, we do nothing in catering. And a few years later, we had, a, 20 years later, at the school, they did a big reunion. And a teacher was there. And I told her, I told her. And she said, everybody can make a mistake, you know. <laughs> so it was nice. But at school, I was still, you know, 14, you are 14, 15. You know, you got... I was okay. I was okay. I was not the best, the best student, you know, because I, I got the problem to take orders. I don't like to take orders. I don't know why. I think it's a lot of people. <laughs> and I think one of the reasons I, I enjoy to, to be a chef, to be a head chef, because there you are the head chef, you know, you are your own, own boss. Uh, you got to take your own responsibility. You got to, to do the best to, to produce the best of yourself, the best of the food, you know. So that's what I like, you know. And I was lucky to go in that profession because I'm the head chef, you know. Nobody nobody got to tell me anything, you know. Yeah, you don't get to be bossed around by anyone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm interested because we've had lots of brilliant chefs on Desert Island Dishes and it's a really common thread that successful chefs have not historically done well at school. Yeah. And I'm wondering if not doing well at school sort of forces you to look elsewhere for something else that you can get passionate about, like cooking. Or is there something about being the kind of person who will turn into a very successful chef that means that you're just not suited to the school environment? Which one do you think it is? I don't know, because there, there is different, different person with different background, you know. So I don't know what is it, you know. Most of the chefs, you know, when, the, when you speak with them, they got, uh, they are not good at school, they don't like school, but they got a good grandmother. That's true. Yes, That's true. most, most of them. So I, I don't know how it works, you know. That was my case. That was my case. And there is a case of a lot of friends too, the same. But you got, you got some chefs who are very successful and they were very good at school. Yeah. Maybe they are a bit more, business oriented than me because myself I'm not at all business oriented. I only had only one restaurant because I enjoy it to cook in one restaurant. Like if you take Gordon or Marco Pierre they got a, a lot, a lot of restaurants. They, they are more they are brilliant cook, but they are businessmen. I'm not a businessman at all, you know, it's just my, my pleasure was to be in that restaurant in the morning, first in the morning and the last to leave at night, you know. So yeah, no, that's a really good point, actually. I think you're right. There's a difference between the two, like different ways that you can approach owning a restaurant. And those guys, like I just mentioned, they got beautiful qualities. It's not a critique, it's just... No, it's just are, different. They are, they are very good chefs, and they are very good businessmen, you know? Hmm. And now you've got the, the, uh, another effect. Now is uh, you've got the TV, where when I was young, it was no TV. I think it was uh, not that. And now you got the, what you call Instagram. Yes. <laughs> and that is something special. Are you a fan of Instagram? No, I'm not. I don't do Instagram. It's my wife. She does it. So people think it's no, me. No, Mrs. Pomme de Terre. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, people think it's me, but it's not. It's, it's Claire who does all the Instagram. And you got now people who go into a restaurant. As a, the, the dish attack, they take a picture and post it, you know, just to be there. It's, it's a completely different attitude about restaurant. We got to adapt. That's all. I'm yeah. not going to change it. It's just to adapt it. Yeah. No, there are so many different ways to be involved yeah. in food now. Let's pause there and talk about the second desert island dish. And that's the first dish that you learned to cook. The first thing, oh, I do not remember how to learn to cook. I think maybe what I learned, 
if I think hard, will be pancake, crepe, what we call crepe, because it's easy to do, and uh, you, uh, you, uh, I saw it from my mom, I saw me crepe, and, uh, and you want to practice, you do crepe, that was one thing, a super crepe, to do a mayonnaise, I suppose, that was the first dishes, after more, more elaborate dishes, duck confit, because we used to do a lot of duck confit, where we come from, is a speciality, duck, and I, I love duck confit, so that was maybe, duck confit was the, the most, proper dish, you know, a crepe is fun, a crepe, you can, is a, and a mayonnaise and things like that. Crème anglaise too, that was, if I remember well, crème anglaise, that was the first one. That was at home, he was not in a cookery school, but cookery school, after you learn, you learn all basic food, you know, so you got a, a basic soup, a basic sauce, a bit. in fact, if you take the example of sauces, you got different, you got, you got, uh, mayonnaise, mayonnaise is a basic shock, the bechamel is another basic shock, uh, you, you, you learn uh, veal stock, chicken stock, fish stock, you, you learn all those basic, you know, and hollandaise sauce, that's why you learn at school, so it's a, diff- school is a, I think the one I, I, I went, I think it was a very good school, very good school. And because we, we learn all the things and we, you will receive a, a, a whole veal and they teach you how to break a, a veal into pieces, uh, or a whole turbo, all the all fish, how to debone it, to fillet it. So it was a brilliant school at the, at the time. Where now I think school are a bit more, not so technical, they are a bit more paperwork, a lot of paperwork. Mm. So do you ever get young chefs coming into the kitchen now? And are you ever surprised at what they haven't been taught? Yeah. Now, if you got a young chef that they don't know how to fillet a fish or to break, or to break a carcass, they don't know that. So you got to show them. And I enjoy to, to, to show it to him because you pass your knowledge. To and they enjoy to, to learn how to do it, how to fillet a fish. Sometimes I remember having a chef, he did a new, the difference between the sea bass and the salmon, you know, it's because they don't see it at school, you know, when they come just from straight from school, he never knows it. So you cannot blame the kid. But what you want, you want a, a young chef, he wants to learn and he's interested but what, uh, yeah. Yeah, with the passion. So you ended up coming to England in the early 1970s for just a short-term cooking role, but really I heard that actually you came to watch France beat England yeah. in the rugby at Twickenham. Can you imagine that? <laughs> you, are, you, are, you are quite young, so you don't know 1970. Food in England was rubbish. It was a joke. The joke of Europe, it was in English, English food, you know. So in southwest of France, uh, we play a lot of, of rugby, and, and, and the highlight of the year is to beat England. Yeah, so that's the highlight. So I said, uh, because if you are a chef, you can travel all over the world. And uh, I said, I'm going to go to London for six months, find a job, find a job, go and see the England against France, just for six months. Eh? And after I did all my paperwork to go to Australia, I, because I, I, I was excited about Australia. So I, I came here, I did that, I went to see the rugby, and 51 years later, I'm still here, so it's not oh, too wow. bad. I've been to Australia for a few times because it's a fantastic country, Australia. But uh, England is good, and the food of England has become better and better. If, now you can eat as well in London than if you are in Paris or uh, everywhere in the world. Eh? So food, in, in, in mainly in London, is, is, is brilliant, completely changed. When I came, I was... I was quite lucky again because 
I, went, I found a job at uh, Le Gavroche, who was a top restaurant in uh, at, at the time uh, in the seventy was a top restaurant. So I learned a lot at the Gavroche too. Eh? So that was I was lucky there too. I could have been in the Tati restaurant and and be disappointed and uh, and gone and gone to Australia. But uh, and from there, you know, uh, two years later. The Roo family, they, they, they opened the Waterside Inn in Brion Thames. And they said, you want to be the chef? So I said, yes, you know, I was 24, 20, something like that, you know, to be the head chef. So. And so I, I went to the, to the Waterside Inn and I stayed from, really from 72 to 77 there. And then we went from uh, No Star to, that's where, it's, I think Michelin came to 1973. And we went from one star to, to no star, in fact, to three stars. So I was, it was, I had a beautiful time, yes. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, so becoming head chef at such a young age, I think you've described it as being quite a scary experience. No. No? I wouldn't call it a scary <laughs> because maybe I'm a bit stupid. I don't think about that, you know. You got something, you jump into it, you go, you do it, you know. So, uh, you see, the Rule Brothers, they had the big advantage that at the time they will trust young chefs. So you are 24, they give you the chef of, of uh, the job at the Waterside. The, the, the same, the chef at Gavroche was maybe a bit more older at one stage. But after, the, he gave the chance to young people. They gave the chance to young people to progress in, uh, in that, in that uh, business. Yeah. But it was, it was not scary at all. Or like I said, I'm stupid. I don't, I don't think about it. You do what you like. You know? And uh, I was the head chef, you know, 24, you are the head chef. But we were only four, at the time four, five chefs, no more than that. And, you know, like I said, that's why I, I enjoy most is I'm the boss. You know, you say, yeah, I don't want people to call, call, call me a head chef. And this is not what I like, you know, is the job I do is my responsibility. The job I do is my responsibility. So if there is something wrong, you know, I'm responsible for it, you know. Yeah. You are often credited with teaching Britain how to cook and transforming the food culture over here. What do you think about one, that? One, one of them, you know, because we were quite a uh, few good chefs. You know, you had uh, Nicolas Denis, you had uh, at the time, you had uh, the Roux Brothers, of course. You had, you had few, few, few good chefs, mainly at the time, mainly the bad chefs the best chefs were in hotels. So at the Connaught, they had a good chef. At the Intercontinental, Peter Kronberg was a brilliant chef. Uh, you got to as we were. I think teaching, I'm not a good teacher, I got to tell you. I'm the type of chef who works. And if you want to learn, you follow me. So I will be a leader more, more than a teacher. I never, I never sat down with the chef, my little chef, you know, blah, 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 show you, blah, blah, blah. A, I do the job, I show him the job, I show him the job, but he got to learn uh, quite fast, you know, I, I don't mind to show it two, three times, but after that, you know, it's a, it's a waste of time. So I like chef will ask questions, you know, how do you do that? And, and uh, show, show me how to do that. Yeah, that's why I'm there. I'm the chef of that. But uh, I'm not a Kadri chef. <laughs> I did hear a rumor that you had a nickname of the bear. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know why. Maybe he's a look. He's a look. And in, uh, where I come from, in the Pyrenees, we got the bear, the Pyrenean bear. So, so maybe that was the rest. Now, now with uh, getting older, I'm more a teddy bear than a bear. You know, but, uh, I know. You, but <laughs> you're coming across as very charming. Yes, I can't imagine yeah. you um, yeah. having this reputation. But yeah, that is the word on the street. Was yeah, that yeah. you were quite scary. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I was tough. <laughs> Yeah, it was tough at the time, yes, yeah, yeah. 
Let's talk about the third desert island dish, and that's the best dish you've ever eaten. So the best fish I eat, so I had so many beautiful dishes. I tried to, because when I read the, the question, I said, what is the best dish? I remember to going many years ago, I'm talking 35 years ago, 36 years ago. We went to a restaurant, a three Michelin star in the north of Lyon called Alain Chapelle. In that dish, we book, I was with my, with my wife, we book. He was so disappointing. Oh no. So, and you know, and the guy had the, one of the best reputation, the best reputation in, in the world, you know, at the time. And I said, why can't be, you know, have that reputation? It's so disappointing. So as a maid hotel, have you got a, a table for tomorrow? And they had a table for tomorrow. So the next day we went back because it cannot be that bad. It's maybe they're having a bad day, you know. So we went the next day to the Allen Chapel, and I remember we had, we started with a salad with what you call lamb lettuce salad with crayfish, you know, what is a crayfish, and black truffle. And that is in my memory. And that is, I will, maybe that will be the best dish I had because we come from a very disappointing meal yeah. and you go there, <laughs> we go there and you got that beautiful salad and after we had, we had a, a, a chicken liver uh, gato. That was the top. But there is so many good, good dish. You know, sometimes there can be. We are lucky to go to a lot of three star, but you can have a fantastic dish uh, in a very simple restaurant. You know, so the best dish is not uh, is not only one best dish. You know, there's many, many best. I was lucky with that. Yeah. Yeah. That's so lucky that you went back the next day. Yeah. What, how bad was the meal the evening before? So it what was, was disappointing. Yeah, it was disappointing because, like seasoning. You know, we, are, we like as, I was a chef. As a chef, we judge sometimes a bit too much. You know, you start to criticize when you are young. You know, you go to a restaurant. We say maybe the, the salt shouldn't be there. It should be there. You know, all the. All I the, wouldn't have done it like that. All, all, all <laughs> the little stupid thing you ruin your meal. So, so. I don't know why. Maybe it was me. Maybe I was in a bad mood because it's very important when you go to a restaurant. The mood of the customer is very important. The welcoming. I don't know. It didn't work on that night. That's why we booked for the next morning. And I think it was a, it was a very good okay, move. And talking about the best dish you've ever eaten, I, I think that brings us on nicely to talk about one of your most famous dishes and one that will go down in the history books, which is, of course, uh, yeah. your famous pig trotters. Yeah. It's been said that this is a dish that encapsulates your style perfectly. And I quote, it's luxurious creations from humble ingredients. Yeah. Can you talk us through the sort of evolution of that dish and how it came about? When I opened Pantocler in 1977, I could have put some dishes because I, w I did work at Gavroche and Waterside. I could have put dishes from there, somewhere I might. But I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I want to do everything on a la carte was new. You know, some dish about mine. So, and I don't, why I did the pig trotter, I don't know, because I love pig trotter, I love that type of, but the English, you know, they, 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 they done, it was no tradition to eat trotter in, uh, or in any kind of awful in England, they don't like that. And I put the pig trotter, and people talk about it, you know, or the, 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 the full critic who is coming, you know, they test it and they talk about pig trotter, and it become a success, you know, why? I don't know. And, I'm remember for pig trotters and uh, <laughs> I did the many other dishes too, but uh, people don't remember so much. 
And Pixotter had been copied by a lot of people. So we had Marco did Pixotter, Gordon Pixotter, uh, Raymond Blanc did Pixotter, all the top chefs at the time, all the top chefs at the time, mainly Raymond Blanc, and they, they copied the Pixotters, you know. So. And do you take that as a compliment? Yeah, it's okay. Yes, for me, it's fine. Yes, it's good. I'm very happy. Pixotters is a, yes, it's a compliment, you know. Only one person did it, uh, put my name on it. Marco Pierre White put Pixotter Pierre off one side. All the others, they put Pixotters and I don't mind, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a compliment. And is it true that you hold the world record for deboning a pig trotter in the shortest length of time? I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, say the world record because it was not a competition. So okay. I, but I did, uh, my best one was 26 seconds. You know, when you work in a restaurant, you may, you do your mise en place, first customer, seven o'clock. So, but six or six thirty to seven o'clock, you got a break there, you know, if you are ready, you got a break. So what I, the thing was, we had always pig trotters, and they come on the bone, you know, the, the pig trotters. And they, at the beginning, they were free, the pig trotters, because the people, the butchers, they, they didn't do nothing with the pig trotters. Really? So they'll give you the pig trotters. Now you go to pay, you know, but, uh, <laughs> so, with the chef, with my chef, they are all at the knife, and pig trotters, and we did competition, the one who go faster, they want to go faster, and, uh, I did, I did 26 seconds, and after uh, uh, one of, of my chefs, a lady chef, Elena, Elena Pulaka, she was just, uh, just a, a few seconds behind me after, and that's it, you know, and the, it was a game, it was, fu- it was fun, you know. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. really fun. So in 1977, you and your first wife, Annie, opened your own restaurant, Le Tante Claire, and after just, I think, six years, you were awarded three Michelin stars. Yes. So I wanted to ask you about Michelin stars because you've since been quoted as saying, you get them, you lose them, that's life, it's not a big deal. When I got my third star, I should have been jumping as high as the ceiling, but I wasn't. So how did you feel when you got your third star? So I remember the, for the third star, they came. Uh, so I was I was in a kitchen working and the maid hotel said, oh, we, got, we got four gentlemen, they want to speak with you. So I go there and say, oh. and this, the guy said, they, they said, oh, we are from the Michelin. I thought they were meant to keep it a secret. Yeah, but it was the day, the day, uh, day they're going to publish it. Okay. Yeah, they came to, to eat at Tante Claire and they said, we are from Michelin and we decide to give you a, a third star. I said, thank you very much. And I went back to the kitchen. <laughs> I should maybe give them a bottle of champagne. I don't know. <laughs> And thank you, you know, big, big word. But I was not like that. I was pleased, of course. And I was pleased for, for the team because uh, when you work in a restaurant, you work as a team. So I was pleased for everybody. But it was not my first, uh, most important thing in, in my life is, is, it was not to get three stars or, uh, the most important thing when you run a restaurant is to have a, a full restaurant. And that, that is nice. When you see, you see, you, you got a full restaurant, the noise coming out of the restaurant is fantastic. And when you see people coming back to your restaurant and you talk to them and, and you got happy people, that, that's rewarding more than three stars. I always said, you know, the, when people pay the bill with a smile, it's fantastic. Oh, yeah. Yes. And uh, we had a few rules at, at, at Tantaclair. I said, I never want to see VIP on a check because all the customers are VIP. Uh, VIP. And, uh, even we, we, uh, lunchtime, we are doing, uh, lunchtime menu. And I said, the guy who come to it for a lunchtime menu, or he come to it for a la carte, you take the same care about him. That was our policy at uh, Tante Claire. Mm. And, and 
with the Michelin stars, is it something that you do suddenly see you get longer waiting lists and, and yeah. d- does it mean more people coming into the I, th- I think that, that yeah, Michelin star, not, and as a guide to, you know, improve your, 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 your business. Yes. Of course. Yes. You got people who want people, you got some people that they want to be the first one to the next three Michelin star. And, you know, and, and it's very nice for the chef. It's a lot of chefs that believe in that, you know, and you know, it's, it's, it's like to be on, on, on the top of your profession. So, so yes, it, it's good. You got the, you got, you got the Michelin, you got the, the, even the 50 best restaurant in the world is a complete joke, you yeah. know. <laughs> uh, all those guys, you know. The best guide is yourself, in fact, you know. If you enjoy it, you go there. There is, there is some little place myself where I go, like a, a restaurant called Perilla in Stock Newington, for example. Uh, he hasn't got a star, the guy. He's brilliant. He's brilliant, you know. The, I never had a bad meal. There is so good. And you got, you got few places like that, you know. So. Yeah, it's not the be-all and end-all. No. But I wondered whether Michelin stars are one of those things that chefs set their sights on and work towards. But as with lots of goals in life, when you get there, it doesn't feel quite as good as you were hoping. Like nothing ultimately changes. Yeah, most of the chefs, I don't know, a lot of chefs, they work for the Michelin guide, you know, and they want to do exactly what the top restaurant do. They copy that, the same style and so on. They don't, a lot of them, they don't cook the food they want to eat. Mm-hmm. That's the problem, you know. And it's very important you got to cook the people, the food you want to, to eat, you know. That's why I was lucky to do that. That's what I did with the pig sorters. Nobody did the pig sorter in a, in a three Michelin star. So a, a lot of chefs, they copy each, each other. They go, they, now, now there is a lot of traveling. There is a lot of, uh, in, on TV, you got, you can see what, what's happening in the three star in, in, uh, in New York, for example. And they look at that and, and they do something similar or something like that. So it's not. You've got to be focused yeah, just on yourself. Yeah, yeah and do, what you're doing. do what you enjoy to cook. Yeah. To, to eat, sorry. The fourth desert island dish, Pierre Kaufman. I'd like to know what is your favorite sandwich. I don't eat a lot of sandwich, but I'll, I'll, time to time, yes, I will like a sandwich. I think a, a sandwich should have a good a good piece of bread to start with. I will not. Uh, I don't like English bread. I don't eat English bread. Okay. <laughs> so it will be a French bread, French baguette is fantastic for yeah. for a sandwich. And uh, is that just out of print? If, if I, I, tell you, I had some good sandwich, but it's very naughty and it, it's not an easy. I'm sorry. Uh, in a restaurant, I got had uh, you know you got foie gras, you got truffle, you use a lot as well. And I remember making sandwich with baguette with uh, foie gras, hot foie gras, yeah. And you eat that. That, that was, but this was, uh, is not something you do every day. I did it maybe two or three times when you got, uh, but, uh, a good sandwich is, with a sandwich, you got to be generous. You know, you, you, sometimes, it's, you know, you know that they fold the sandwich. It looks fantastic. It looks, when you look at it at, uh, à manger, it seems to have a lot of meat. Like, but in fact, you know, it's, it's the way they present it, you mm. see the meat and after, on, at the back is absolutely nothing. Yeah, that's true. So, <laughs> bag, should be baguette, butter, ham, very good with the sandwich, you know, all that thing. Yeah. When I was young, we had a, we are going to the local bar, uh, uh, local fete, you know, in village. And every time you go to, the, they always had an, an orchestra, not what you got now, neither. And just outside, uh, they will have a guy cooking some, uh, what do you call that? The, the merges, merges sausages. 
and they'll have a baguette. And we can call it a sandwich because it was just a piece of baguette, three or four merguez in it, and you had that. And you know, when it's midnight, 12 o'clock, one o'clock, you know, two o'clock, you find it fantastic, you know, yeah. Nothing tastes better. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so in 2003, after decades at the peak of culinary achievement and following the very sad event of the death of your first wife, Annie, you felt the time had come to relax, to go fishing, to play golf, travel the world, enjoy mushroom yeah. picking. But the life of retirement wasn't for you for very long, was it? Uh, so for, from a young, uh, young age, I, you know, I, I, because I'm a bit slightly stupid, so I, you know, I, I had the dream of putting closing the restaurant and said, go on fishing. You know, that is, is not my expression. It's quite yeah. popular. <laughs> a lot of people say that. And... Uh, what I did well in my life, I took an insurance for retirement when I was very young. But I arrived at a certain age, you know, it was, a, it was a, quite good. So I said, one day I'm going to pass away. So I should enjoy it. I got the money. What you, what you do with it. So you got to enjoy life a little bit. And I was stupid. Maybe I don't know. I don't regret it. To be honest, I do not regret it, but I was maybe stupid. I say it's okay. Nice enough. You know, it's okay. So I stop it. In 2003, yes, it was, yes, you're right. So we traveled with a friend. With a friend, we went to different places in the world. And it was fantastic, you know, China, Japan, Mexico, Cuba, a lot of places. And we enjoyed very much. Yeah? And uh, I came back after a, a year, something like that. And uh, I was at home and... Uh, I was getting, I'm go, I was going to die on the sofa, you know, because <laughs> I was doing nothing. I was in bed until nine o'clock, going for a, 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 a cappuccino outside, going to a restaurant for lunch, back at home, a little siesta on a divan. <laughs> and and uh, I, I had a, a girlfriend, the, the mother of my two kids after, and uh spending the evening with her, we're going out and see like that. So I said, Pierre, if you do that, you know, in two years time, you are dead, you know, because it's not life. It's not good. So I decided to, uh, I did a bit of consulting, consulting after that. And they asked me to do a, a pop-up restaurant on top of Claridge's, uh, Selfridge's, Selfridge's. And they said, oh, for a week, it's only for a week. And I said, okay, I'll do it. So ask for a friend to help me because I was on my own. Uh, Bruno Lube and Eric Chavot, they were doing nothing. And they said, oh, can we come and help you? So from one week, it lasted for two months. And we were working every day, every day from morning to night, you know. There I lost a lot of weight. That was yeah, a good, think, yeah, that was, that was, that was a good, uh, a good, uh, good diet. A good diet. <laughs> You lost but, 12 kilos in three weeks. Yeah. And uh, during that time, because of the reputation of the pig trotter, we did 3,200 pig trotters we cook, we sell. Wow. In two months. Oh. It was a lot. We used to receive the pig trotter by, by boxes of uh, 500 trotters at the same time. And you had to debone it. It was a, so we, I had a, a lot of help. People would come for a day or a week or two weeks, so it depends. But uh, it was fantastic. I really, really enjoyed it. But it was, too, we're happy when it's finished. Yeah. I, I, at the end of the day, my, my leg were like a piece of stick. I couldn't move the leg anymore. But it was brilliant. So, and after, from there, at the water, at the Barclay Hotel, uh, the, 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 the boss tell me, oh, we are going to renovate the Barclay Hotel in three years' time. Can you cover it for three years? I said, okay, I'll go for three years. 
And from those three years, he, he lasted six years and a half, you know. And uh, it was four years ago, maybe, four years ago. And I stopped it. And from there, from there, we did uh, Claire. She's a, a business is potato. Claire and her brother, too. So we decided to do, uh, to, to, to work for ourselves. So we call it Kaufman Potato because of the name is well known. And we sell, we sell uh, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of potatoes. Yes. Yeah. I think that's amazing. You kind of got the best of both worlds because you got to retire and see what that felt like, yeah. but then realized it wasn't for you and you, you're now back doing what you love. Whereas I think lots of people sort of yearn for the day that they can retire, but they never yeah. try it and see that actually it's a bit yeah. boring. Yeah, it, was, yeah, it was a good thing to try, yeah. to retire, but it was not for me. You know? No. I know some people, they go play golf, you know, but if you cannot play golf every day, otherwise it's a job. And I'm not, it's not I can do it no, 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 not every day, time to, and the fishing is the same, it's the season. I wouldn't go fishing every day. I enjoy it when I go, but that's it. And all like that, you know. So it was a good thing to go back to work, I think, yeah. Yeah, you got to keep busy a little bit, yeah. That's the secret to your youth. You know, if yeah. I go on holiday, if, if I go on holiday, I find it boring holiday. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's okay. Two weeks, I've got two weeks because uh, Claire, we love two weeks. All the kids used to like, you know, you got to, but, uh, you know. Yeah, we won't tell Claire that, Pierre. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's not, it's not, holiday is not, uh, after two weeks, I, I got to come back. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about the fifth desert island dish. And that's the dish you eat the most often. Uh, the dish you, you ride the mo more often is uh, will be a piece of cheese, to be honest. Oh, yeah? you know, because I love, I love cheese, you know. What kind of cheese? Any kind of cheese. And as long as it is good, it's good. it can be mainly French, but in, in England, they, in UK, they got beautiful cheese. Most of the time, they are copy of European cheese, but they are beautiful. So my weakness, in a certain way, I go to La Fromagerie, La Fromagerie, and there... I said, I'm going to buy a cheese, but I finished, I got five, six, seven <laughs> cheese, you know. That's my weakness, is cheese. You know, when you look, when you look all the variety of cheese and the smell and I like strong cheese and they got, La, la Fromagerie, they got fantastic cheese. You know? So that would be my, my, my favorite food, but uh, I like everything. I'm, I'm sorry, uh, I'm a bit greedy too, you know, at the same time. And uh, I enjoy, if it's good, I enjoy everything, you know. It can be any type of food. It's good. You got in in life. You got in cooking. You got good food or bad food for me. You know. And uh, uh, so I, I I got a. I don't have a, a, only one dish, you know, where I said that is my favorite. But uh, many dishes. To to my kids, to my I say my kids to my chef. I used to say the difference between a good dish and a bad dish is a pinch of salt. That's what I used to say. But uh, like I said, I will keep my favorite dish. I will keep with a with a jagger, but I will never find it as good as my grandmother's. But uh, it's still there. It's somewhere here. Yeah. Or over there on the top of on my palette. I don't know. It it seems to be that training the younger generation of chefs is something that's really important to you. Mentoring chefs is an important part of what you do. And I believe that you said that you get the same feeling from it that you would seeing a son do really well in life. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, yeah, of course. Yes. Because we spend so much time together in a kitchen. Yeah? Now it's a, it's a bit different because they don't do so many hours. But when I was young, uh, younger, uh, you know, you spend... 10, 12 hours together. So they are your kids and they, and you got some, some young chef, commie chef, we call them, where, where, uh, they, they become part of the family. You got a, a 
Tom Kitchen, for example, that was a brilliant kid. Raphael Duntoy, you got, you got few, 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 few people like that, you know. You got uh, Eric Chavo, he stayed for five years. You know, five years is a long time, you know. So, yeah. So you, you feel like, like your kids. And, uh, in fact, when I, I get married with Claire, huh? we, we've been with Claire many, many years. Well, 17 years, something. Like and we got married about five years ago. She was asking, we tried to push back. <laughs> and I wasn't going to do a big party with, with, uh, so what I did, I, all the chefs, you know, you got a very connection, or they are in London or in, in UK at least. You got a connection. So I said, oh, I'm doing a party. I'm doing a party. Uh, I invite you to come to my party. I didn't say I was getting married. So, so we did that party. We are about 40 people and we had a few, few, few uh, friends too but the big majority were the were the chef were, uh, uh, the ex-comi ex-comi people were working for me you know so when they arrived you know we had uh, we had uh, the, the thing and i said you know i'm not a chef anymore you know it's clear with the chef <laughs> atom atom is a wife with a chef you know? yeah he's not, not a man Oh, that's amazing that yeah. they were all there at your wedding. Yeah. Because so, first, I, I didn't want any present to, so I didn't say, well, it's just a party, so you don't bring your present. Yeah. <laughs> but if you said it's a wedding, they tend to bring things you, at my age, you don't need it at all, you know, so, yeah. So nice. And I mean, yeah, the number of Britain's top chefs that, that have trained under you is incredible. We've got Tom Aitkins, Gordon Ramsay, Marco Pierre White, Marcus Waring, Tom Kitchen, Jason Atherton. That's literally just naming a yeah, few. Yeah. And I think between them, they've all got 20 Michelin stars, which. Oh, yeah, they've got, they got a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you've got a beautiful chef. I had, I had only one guy I learned, I teach from beginning, from, from zero. He was, he was, uh, Raphael Duntoy. He was a guy from, from Nigeria. He, he was a, an engineer. He was not a chef. And, uh, uh, he came one day. He said, chef, he introduced himself, very polite guy. Look, and he said, I want to learn how to cook. Can you teach me? And I said, oh, I said, okay, you can start uh, when you are free. You can start. Uh, so he came and I put, at the vegetable, how to turn vegetable, all the clean vegetables at the beginning, you know, so. And there, Raphael, he, st he stayed for a few years. I saw, once, a few stages, he was fed up of me, I suppose, you know. And he said, chef, I got to go, you know. And he said, okay, Raphael. And uh, a month later, I said, chef, can I come back? And normally I don't take back step, uh, chef, but this one, I don't know why, Raphael. I took him back and he did it three or four times, you know, he, he was fed up. So he, and after he went to work for Eston Blumenthal, he went to work for the other. And now he's the, he's the head chef of La Petite Maison. I don't know if you know La Petite yes. Maison. For me, La Petite Maison is the best French chef, best French restaurant in, in England for sure. So Raphael is there. And I'm very, very proud of Raphael, you know, so. We are having a very, like a familiar uh, connection with Raphael. And when we go to party, he always introduced him from, he said that my, my white father, you know. <laughs> oh, in a way, he's like your greatest achievement. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I mentioned him because he's a, he was from zero, but you know, he had it on his, he wanted to be, he wanted to learn. He had the will to, to learn, you know, and that is the most important, you know. Yeah. Yeah. If someone doesn't have that, yeah, or they stick at it, you know, yeah. yeah. If they don't have the passion, no, you can't no, teach that. No, no. We're on to the sixth desert island dish, and that's your go-to dinner party dish. I got to be honest, uh, because 
Atom is Claire who cooks yeah. a lot. <laughs> and it's, I heard she does a really good roast yeah, pork. Yeah, yeah, she does the best pork, the roast pork. You know, she, her crackling is a, is a, 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 cent, a centimeter and a half, two centimeters high. If What's I, her secret? Uh, if I go somewhere and there is a pork, I don't take it because I know it's not going to be as good as Claire. Her secret is she put, she, she got a, a nice piece of pork belly and uh, mainly pork belly, she does, and she, she's, uh, she dry it and put some salt the night before. And after she put some boiling water on top and she look after it. So she's brilliant, you know, and, uh, that's what we do. But we do some time to time, I cook. Time to time. When it's more, more, we want to do something different. You know, if I want to do a fish soup or something like that, you know, I cook. But it's very rare, very rare. I, I'm very lucky with Claire. You know, she enjoys, she cook every day if you want to. Yeah, yeah. And it started because when I met Claire, I got three kids. She got two kids. So we had five kids. Together, so you, you, was, you guys are going to have one as well. Yeah. You see, five, you yeah, see. five is a lot. <laughs> and uh, I was cooking, and time to time Claire was cooking, but the kids prefer her cooking. I don't know why, because at home I was cooking very simple, you know, uh, chicken, roast beef, or etc. But no, they always said uh, Claire was better, so <laughs> she was so pleased. Yeah, I bet she was. <laughs> and, what a compliment! Uh, and uh, she took it and she carried on cooking. Yeah, yeah. On Desert Island Dishes, we've got a cookbook corner, so I'd love to know what is your most treasured cookbook? The best cookbook. The best cookbook is a book called uh, uh, The Great Chef of France. It was published in uh, maybe early 80, something like that. I forgot the name of the beautiful picture. And that, you know, the, the, the guy, where well, I forgot the name, which is not very nice, they went him, the photographer, and uh, uh, the, the the food he was a food critic on a wheelchair, the program. And they went to all the the three Michelin stars in France, and the pictures are fantastic, absolutely brilliant. You know, it was it was uh, the time of in you know, a nouvelle cuisine, the French nouvelle cuisine. So it was we call it grandiose, and it doesn't do anymore like that. But you know, you you got the big cloche and the big dish with a beautiful thing. So it's called uh, the best chef of France, you know. Anthony, Anthony, Claire, Claire will remember. My number one dish, uh, uh, book, I think I got hundreds of books. Really? Yeah, you yeah. Got and a lot. Claire said, oh, get, get rid of those books. I can't, you know, because uh, I love to do it one day because it's, I, when I say hundreds of books, it's hundreds of books. And you don't need hundreds of books, you know. But, uh, uh, there, there is some few other beautiful books too, you know. The most important books is certainly, uh, the, mm-hmm. Escoffier book. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think for, for a chef, for a professional chef, that's the most important book. Escoffier, you got everything you want in Escoffier. But you got to be a chef to enjoy it, mm. you know. Uh, the chef's Bible. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So there is a lot of beautiful books, beautiful done books. But um, what do you call that? The table, uh, coffee, coffee, yeah. coffee table books. So it's different, yeah, yeah. Right, we're on to the final seventh desert island dish, and that's the last dish you would choose to eat before being cast off to the desert island. Yeah, if, you know, if, if I go to pass away by next week, I hope not, but you never know, uh, and I go to do the menu, so I will start with fish soup, bouillabaisse to follow, with the same dish, in fact, and on the pudding, I will have the, the, the crustado pomme from my, my, my grandmother. And that will be the, the, that will be my, my, my dish. So, 
<laughs> it's funny because with Claire, we talk about it as a joke. We talk about that. Because when you die, normally by tradition in France, you, 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 people stay for, for, for lunch. For lunch. I mean, you got to feed people because that was a tradition in the old days when transport was not very easy. You know, uh, somebody died in a farm. Uh, people will come from uh, some 50 kilometers, uh, 100 kilometers. So you, you got to feed them. You got to look after them. So you had a big table, big table to say goodbye. I think together, all the family, and you eat, you know. And I think it's a good thing, you know. So we talk about it with Claire. Uh, and it, it's nice because we said uh, what we want to eat, Claire, you know. So... Uh, Claire, sometimes, as a joke, she says, oh, you are going to put everything I don't like, you know? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so she doesn't like lamb. And she says, I'm sure you are going to put lamb for my, for, for my, for my funeral. <laughs> so, but yes, it's a, it's a part of looking after your guests. You know? mm. yeah. Yeah. Well, I like how you've made this a bit more morbid than I intended, Pierre. Yeah. You're going to a desert island. Yeah. So, you know, it's not the end. It's not the end. Yeah. It's just your last meal before you go to a desert island. So you'd have a big bowl of bouillabaisse. Where's the best that you've ever had? The best I ever had is in a place in, uh, on the French Riviera, next to Antibes there, and it's called Bacon. BAC, unlike bacon. Bacon is, and they specialize in bouillabaisse. We have them in there, we have a, you used to go once a year, but we have them in there for, for a few years now, and that was a top, top, top. It was brilliant, brilliant. I think we can arrange that yeah. for your life. Uh, yeah, on Desert Island, what you got, uh, you might only be on the island for a week before you get rescued. You never know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got to make sure I got a lot of cheese. Yeah, yeah well, yeah, we'll send you away yeah, with a big bag will, of cheese. Will keep, will keep. <laughs> okay, Pierre Kaufman, those are your Desert Island dishes. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. So there we have it. Another delicious day of Desert Island dishes. Don't forget that you can rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. If you don't already, come and follow me on Instagram at Desert Island Dishes. You can sign up for the newsletter and find a whole host of different recipes at DesertIslandDishes.co. Thank you so much for listening. Very glad to be back.